So this is the first Sunday in Lent. And so this is a very traditional text to read on this Sunday from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Here ends the reading. The wilderness can appear at any moment. Your child gets sick. Your parent falls. Your company restructures. I mean, sometimes the wilderness will just come unbidden because of some shame or guilt or some fear that you've created in your own mind. And now you're in the wilderness and the landscape looks a little different and it's a little bit sparse around here. And you're wondering where to go from here and that's when the temptations come. Because even, and I think often when we're in the wilderness, we think we know what's good for us. We think we know what we need. We think we know what we need to do. And we get this sort of, especially in America, we get this sort of, I can do it myself sort of attitude. And so wilderness experiences can already feel like lonely places. And then I think we often sort of sequester ourselves because we might be afraid to reach out for help, to share that burden with somebody else. The wilderness can appear at any moment. For Jesus, the wilderness appears at a very particular moment. If you didn't catch it, and I always tell you, like, if, if the scripture starts out with, like, after that time, or next, or immediately, you ought to go back and figure out well, what just happened. Well, in this passage, the way we pulled it out, it says then. Well, what happened before? Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. 
He's just named as God's beloved. And now the wilderness appears. The spirit, it says, leads him to the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. God isn't doing the testing or the tempting here, but the deceiver is, the devil as it's translated here. And so Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he's famished. So, you know, again, 40 days and 40 nights in the, in, in, in the scripture always means a very long time. Doesn't necessarily mean exactly 40 days and exactly 40 nights, no matter what anybody would, would want to t- tell you. And, it's, and, it is, and it is Old Testament biblical. I mean, think about, think about all the times that 40 days and 40 nights or 40 years is mentioned in, in the scripture. I mean, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai in the presence of God receiving the commandments for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah is fasting in the wilderness or in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Israel is 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. It's a long period of time. And if you've ever even just been hangry in the middle of the afternoon, you know, you know what a candy bar might look like or a piece of bread. Something to stave that off, to take, to take the edge off of it and sort of get you back to maybe, to maybe that, that right place. And so here's the deceiver, the tempter, the devil putting something right in front of Jesus that he knows that he needs at some point. He's going to have to eat. But if you're the son of God, if, if this is how you're going to behave, if this is how you're going to be the son of God, if you're going to, do, if you're going to make magic, then here's your chance because you can feed yourself. And oh, by the way, we know later Jesus feeds all kinds of people through a, what seems like a miraculous sorts of thing. 5,000 people, 4,000 people, not counting the women and children. But here, because it, the temptation is, is to use his power for himself, I can do this on my own to set aside trust in God and obedience to what, what God wants Jesus to do and who he wants Jesus to be here. He says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's, he's not saying you don't have to eat. But he's saying, I don't, I'm not playing this game. That's not who I choose to be. Because that's what's interesting here. I think for many of us who've been around the church most of our lives, like we read this, we read this, this passage and we're like, oh yeah, of course. This is what Jesus did. Like, of course he wasn't tempted. Really. Well, if you go to the Philippians passage, it talks about that Jesus chose even though he was in the form of God, even though he was exalted, and we believe, of course, from the very beginning that, that God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and so Jesus is in the form of God, he didn't re- regard that as something to be exploited, it says, as something basically to be, to be used for his own gain, but he emptied himself. Jesus chose to take on the form of a slave, to take on the form of someone who all they can do is serve. That's what their role is, to become a servant, 
to become obedient, to be born in human likeness. And not just, you know, divinity residing in the shell of a human being and not having any of the feelings or any of the temptations that we might have. We believe that Jesus was fully human, fully divine, as mysterious as that that is to us, and that he experienced all the things that we would experience. Anger, happiness, hunger, you know, a lot of people don't, even, don't think about the fact that Jesus, you know, had to use the restroom, right? I mean, he's human kinds of things. He got dirty. It wasn't like dust just repelled off him as he walked along, you know? His feet had to be washed when they came into somebody's home just like everybody else's. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. So he becomes obedient. He, he doesn't take the power that he has and to, to use it for himself. He comes and chooses to be this kind of Messiah, this kind of leader, one who would set himself aside, one who would not take up the power that is offered to become the one riding the white horse with a, with a sword in his hand, destroying the Romans, putting God back in God's rightful place through, through power and might, but through something that looks like complete weakness, complete and utter weakness. And being killed for it. One writer said this, and I thought it was really good. Jesus did not reveal his character in spite of his divine nature, but because of it. What I read into that, I'm going to say it again. Jesus did not reveal his character in spite of his divine nature, but because of it. Meaning the divine nature that we see as we see Jesus, we see the divine nature and the divine nature of God is a self-giving God. That's a pretty radical thought. Not for us Christians who've been teaching and preaching and learning about this for 2,000 years, but it is to, to have a God who would give God's self for the creation, for us creatures. And so Jesus, in a sense, because it says he poured himself out and he, and he humbled himself, he took the focus, in a sense, off of himself and put it directly on God the Father, what, what God is wanting. And every time Jesus is asked, he's always like, when you see me, you see the Father. He humbled himself. He put himself in right relationship with God. That's what humbling means. It's not that you're, you grovel and you, you, you make like you don't have any, any power whatsoever. It's more about you remember who has all the power, who really is in charge and in control, which is God. And that, yes, we have, we have our jobs to do and we, and we, have, we have the things that, that, that God gives us to do and we have the gifts and the skills and the experiences and resources to be able to go do those things. I mean, in some ways, we, we are able to create things that are just that people from 500 years ago would be amazed at because God gives us this, these opportunities and these choices. 
But when it becomes all about us, when we think we know what is good for us all the time, and that is the path that we're pursuing, we can really get messed up. And we can find ourselves in places that we never wanted to be, and maybe in some sense not by our own choice, right? Sometimes the wilderness just seems to appear. Another writer wrote, perhaps the goal of faith, if there is a goal of faith, I'll say that, isn't to escape the limitations that we have, because we do have limitations. Jesus chose limitations when he took on human form. Perhaps the goal of faith isn't to escape limitations, but to discover God amid our needs and learn that God's grace is sufficient. What if, as I've preached before, it's really true that God already knows what we need before we even, maybe before we even know? And that when we become empty, when we humble ourselves, when we put ourselves in right relationship with God, that we have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to be filled be filled with God's spirit, to be filled with a renewed trust and a renewed hope and a renewed mercy and a renewed grace, to be able to, to let go of the ways that where we just cling on to what we think we know and what we think is, is, is good for us, to follow the path that is laid out before us, which might still take us right through the wilderness. But the wilderness is a different experience, isn't it, when, when you know somebody's been there before, when, when you might have somebody who, who can sort of walk with you through that wilderness. And that's one of the biggest things that people say is, you know, if, if, you've, if, you've, if you've gone through a cancer treatment, one of the best things you can do is to, to go back and to help people who are walking through that with them. Because you've been there before, and maybe they haven't. And so they can, together, you can, you can walk through it together. When you're having, when you're in the wilderness and you're having those temptations, like, who do you turn to? Right, in the 12-step 12, 12 community, almost everybody in the, that, that considers themselves in the recovery, they have a sponsor. They've got a community, but they, have, they definitely have at least one person that they know when they're, when they're having their temptations, when they feel like they're being tested that they can reach out to. They throw out a lifeline, you know? Because so often I think our brokenness, our sin, makes us want to try to do it on our own. And the wilderness gets even lonelier. And so Jesus is, is tested and, and is tempted and his choices define who he is. the kind of Messiah that he's going to be. And he's going to be one who teaches us who God is, who shows us what God does, who invites us into a new life, who in some ways turns our world a little bit inside out and upside down. But he's the one then who gives himself completely and utterly that we might know what that new life could be. 
that through his death and his resurrection, we begin to see what it is to live a life of emptiness and humility and obedience. And that doesn't sound super sexy, does it? But when we walk in right relationship with God, we begin to walk in right relationship with ourselves and with other people and with our neighbor. And we begin to have a different life. Jesus found himself in human form and he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and, and heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Not because he was a conquering hero in the traditional sense, but because he was a suffering and crucified and risen Messiah. And so the way of the cross, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. So as we walk these 40 days of Lent, I just, I encourage you to think about, are you in the wilderness right now? Who's, who can you throw a lifeline to? In what ways are you thinking that you know everything that's good for you? And where is that not helpful? And four, how can you invite God more fully into this journey? How can you empty yourself and become humbled to serve God with all that you are and all that you have, following in the footsteps of Jesus? Amen.